back into Revelation 15 through 18. We're going to cover it all. I'm not going to read it all. Um, I'll save um, 17 and 18. Just read it later. Uh, I'll kind of talk just briefly about it. I'll talk after I read, but then I'll talk more about it um, when, I, when I teach on it. So we got this big chunk, um, and just want to remind you that um, the, the words will be on the screen, on the screen in front of you. If you've got it with you, you can follow along. Uh, but just want to remind you that um, this, this is a thing that's meant to be felt. It's a thing that's, that's meant to be experienced. It's not a thing where, like a lot of times we, we look at Scripture, especially like the letters of, of Paul, and we want to go like line by line, verse by verse. What does this mean? What does this mean? This is more of a, a big picture feeling, thematic, narrative sort of a prophetic book. So it's less of a line by line thing and more of a, a thematic uh, theme. So we'll thing. So we'll we'll talk about that um, in a in a little bit. Uh, before we read, we'll start at, at chapter fifteen. I'm going to read fifteen and sixteen, uh, and then we'll talk about it. So before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you for, for this book, for your word, um, for how you, you revealed yourself to, to people uh, struggling to figure out their relationship with you and who you are and what you want for this world. And, and they, they eventually were inspired and wrote it down, and now we have it, and we can we can follow along, and we, we believe that you speak to us somehow in that, um, in the power of your word is transformative. It creates things, it changes things, and, uh, and it makes things new. So reveal your heart. Uh, reveal to us anything inside of us that you'd like to reveal to us. And then change us so that we look more and more like, like Jesus. Amen. Chapter 15. Saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. Dun, dun, dun. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and the Lamb. So what, once again, what do we have going on here? Worship. It's so good. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after this, I looked and saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth." 
The first angel went and poured out his bowl in the land. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped in its, its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, first the land, then the sea. And it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Ew. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. We're talking about judging, judgments here. Judgments coming. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. So the land, the sea, the rivers and springs, the sun. The sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the, for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumble, peals of thunders, and severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since humankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. We'll go that far. <laughs> and there's more. There's Babylon. There's the great prostitute. There's the, the lake of, of fire. And it's all like horror. And you can read that later if you want. I'll talk a, a little bit about it. Um, but, but first, I, I want to start like this. I'm going to ask a question, and I want you to actually answer. Now, the last time I did this was impromptu. I planned this one, and I think it'll be a little easier for you to respond. So, could be thoughts, words, images. What kinds of thoughts, words, images, feelings um, do you get when you hear the word Armageddon? Thoughts, words, images, things that you've learned, picked up. There's no wrong answers. No wrong answers here. Uh, it's a safe place you can speak. Armageddon. 
Bruce. <laughs> That's the first one, Brian. The first one, and we're derailed. <laughs> okay, anything else? Massive war. Scary. Mm. What was that? Anxiety? Yeah. End of the world. That's, that's it, right? That's what we think about. When we hear the world, word Armageddon, we think it's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. I feel fine. What? It was good. We'll sing later, you and me. That's what we think of, right? We think the end of the world as we think wars, bombs, explosions. We hear the word Armageddon. We think rocks flying out of the sky and you know, like damaging bridges and roads and like explosions. We imagine people screaming and running for their lives. When we hear the word Armageddon, this is, this is what we think of. Can we, can we start that? This is what we think of. And Bruce... Finland to South Carolina. Now, what the hell is it? It's a meteor shower. What is this thing? It's enormous. It's an asteroid, sir. It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. What kind of damage? Total, sir. My God. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. What do we do? Do we blow this thing up? <laughs> so clearly, that was the first, you know, 30 some odd seconds of the trailer for the movie Armageddon. Right? That's what we think of. We think of total destruction. The world is going to be destroyed. We think nothing will even survive, not even bacteria, right? We think, boom, the whole thing is going to get blown up because that's what we've been taught. Armageddon is the whole, all of creation just totally destroyed. Can I tell you a little bit about Armageddon? Can we do this? Armageddon. Armageddon in Hebrew means Mount Megiddo. So Megiddo was a real town, a real place. Surprise, right? Shocking. Mount Megiddo was located in northern Israel in a valley. And um, because of its locations, foreign armies, when they would come in and invade from the north, armies like Babylon and, and Rome and Assyria, every time they came in from the north, uh, this little town, this city of, of Megiddo would be destroyed. It's estimated that it was destroyed 26 different times times. Archaeologists have discovered that each time that Megiddo, the town, was destroyed, they rebuilt it on top of the rubble. So it was destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt over and over again until finally it became like this hill. So it was rebuilt on top of itself so many times that it became like this hill, thus the name Mount Megiddo or Armageddon. We'll get back to that in a little bit. First, let's remember the people to whom John is writing. He's writing to a small, frustrated, persecuted church. All kinds of really hard, terrible things were happening to them at the hands of the Roman Empire, right? So they were losing jobs, businesses. They were losing their ability to to, because of their allegiance to Jesus and their refusal to do things Rome's way, 
all sorts of things. They were losing their ability to, to provide for their families. They were imprisoned. Some of them were executed, crucified because of it. So Rome was essentially giving them a warning. You do things Rome's way or look out, this is what happens to you. Violence, brute force. And so this small, persecuted, frustrated little church was looking around at the world and was thinking to themselves, what in the world is going on? What is happening? And John's answer to that question is in, verse, is in chapters 12 through 14. And it's essentially this. If you look around at the world, there's more going on in the world than meets the eye. There are these spiritual forces of evil at work in the world trying to undo the whole thing. And these spiritual forces of evil are like, a, they're dragon-like. It's, like it's like a beast, right? And we have the choice. We follow the dragon, the ways of the beast, violence, coercion, taking advantage of others to get what we want. You know the drill. We've been through it for like 10 weeks in a row. Or we follow the lamb, grace, love, healing, forgiveness, right? welcome, acceptance, generosity, self-sacrifice. So the next logical question is this. Okay, so if there are these spiritual forces of evil at work in the world, then how long are you going to let this go on? Like, how long do we have to endure this? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and sorrow in my heart all day long? The Psalm 13 must have been in their hearts and on their lips all the time. How long? How long do we have to endure this? Now, to be honest with you, John doesn't do a very good job of answering that question. In fact, he stinks at it. In fact, he doesn't even try. He doesn't try to, there's no timeline. He didn't build this secret code with which we can make charts, with which we can predict the future, and we'll know exactly when Jesus is going to come back and make things right. Again, not what's going on here. That's not the kind of literature we have here. So he doesn't even try to say, this is when it's going to happen, you'll know it. But what he does say is that there will come a time when evil will be judged, when evil will be exposed, when when evil is dealt with. There will come a time when it will be done. And then in chapter 16 through 20, John gives like this highly symbolic vision of what it will look like, right? So we've got these seven bowls of wrath. That's interesting. Where does he come up with this? Seven bowls of wrath. You know what they look a lot like? The seven plagues or the 10 plagues in Egypt, right? Yet before the people were set free, there were the plagues in Egypt. And the point of the first four bowls seems to be pretty simple, right? God will allow creation. You've got the land, the sea, the rivers and streams, and you've got the sun. God will allow creation to pass judgment on humanity for on all who have abused creation. So we're supposed to take care of it. We're supposed to be good stewards. We're supposed to love the world. I mean, you go back to Genesis and we partner with God in taking care of, of all that is. And it seems that if we're going to abuse 
creation, if we're going to take advantage of it, if we're going to use it for our own means, right, it will pass judgment. That will be exposed. God will allow creation to do what creation is going to do. And it doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look pretty at all. So next, that's the first four bowls. Then the next five through seven bowls of wrath, God seems to be judging imperial ideology. So he's judging empire. Expansion, we'll call it expansion by brute force. And we have experience with this. We've seen this all throughout history, even our own country. Like we like to talk about it as an exploration. That's what we learn in school. Columbus is exploring. It's not an exploration. It was expansion by brute force. It was stealing. We have to be honest about these things. Expansion by brute force. And then John writes this interesting thing. He talks about Armageddon. He says, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Remember, Armageddon, Mount Megiddo, is the place that was destroyed and rebuilt 26 times. Destroyed, rebuilt. Destroyed, rebuilt. Destroyed, rebuilt destroyed again and again and again. He seems to be issuing a warning here, and he's using that town, that place, that city as a visual representation of what happens when you, when you follow the ways of the dragon, follow the ways of the beast, and follow brute force and expansion by brute force and violence. What happens? It becomes a cycle you can't stop because violence begets violence. It continues to happen again and again and again, so the people there would have known about Mount Megiddo. They would have known the history. They would have known the story. They would have known, oh, Armageddon. That's where that happened. And it just keeps happening again and again and again. And none of this surprises us. Like this is just sort of an accurate depiction of what is. Right? Since the beginning of the 20th century, there have been more than 350 wars around the world. Violent, bloody catastrophes of humanity. Will there be another great war? Do you ever wonder that? Like we had World War I, World War II. Is there going to be another one? Where nations rise up against nations and it's like this whole humongous global catastrophe? I don't know. Kind of seems like maybe. There's a good chance of it, a possibility. It's probably a safe bet. But eventually, John says, God's going to say enough. No more. Nope. All done. Chapters 17 and 18. John gives us, so we're doing work. John gives us two images symbolizing the Roman Empire. You see, most of this book is a, is a prophetic critique against empire, thus becoming a, a prophetic critique against all empires, imperial action. So two images. Rome is the great prostitute and the great city of Babylon. So we're talking about the Roman Empire here. And there's a lot going on here. But generally, the great prostitute Babylon seduces people by saying, here, I have luxury. I have luxury beyond your wildest imagination. Here, come to me and all of your fantasies can be fulfilled. You don't even have to work hard for them. No. It doesn't have to be a real relationship. You don't have to work hard for it. You don't have to 
You don't have to organize very well. You don't have to act just. You don't have to be just. You don't have to be humane. All you have to do is come to me. Oh, there's a price, but you're okay with that, right? It'll cost you a little something, but you get everything you want. So John paints this picture, revealing that there will come a day when, it, when evil is finally and fully exposed, when it's judged. Evil will be dealt with. And there seems to be two ways that evil will be dealt with. Right? First, God will strip away the prophets. God will strip away all of the, the stuff, the toys that have been gained by taking advantage of others that have been gained by force, conquest, murder. This is Babylon burning to the ground. Like in chapter 17 and 18, you have, you have kings weeping and mourning. Why would kings, most powerful people in the world, be weeping and mourning? Because the power they worship has now been taken away. You have merchants weeping and mourning. Why are merchants weeping and mourning? Listen to, what, listen to what John says. Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. So they're not weeping and mourning because God is torturing people to death. They're not weeping and mourning because God is inflicting violence. They're weeping and mourning because their stuff has been taken away. The thing that they thought would fulfill their lives, all of their stuff is now taken away. They've given their lives to it, and now it's gone. They're weeping and they're mourning. So God's going to take away the stuff, spoils. Second, it seems as though God is going to contain evil and all of those who love evil in a place outside of the new heavens and new earth. You see, the new heavens and the new earth is coming. And God says, evil and those who love evil. He's saying, you want all of that stuff and not me? You want violence, war? You want to take advantage of others? Fine. You can have it. Just not in my city. I will protect those who love me and who love people and who love others. That's what all this lake of fire imagery is all about. It's metaphor. What happens, what happens when the things you love get taken away from you? Like think, think of children. When the things they love get taken away, what happens? What happens when you don't get what you want? You weep. You mourn. You gnash your teeth. You burn with red-hot anger. You become the, the red-faced emoji on your phones. Maybe even the one that has the, the censorship on it. That's what you become when your stuff gets taken away. When you don't get what you want. So stuff gets taken away and evil and those who love evil are contained outside the new heavens and new earth because God is going to protect the new heavens and the new earth. John, that's like details, short on details. It's very general here. Very metaphorical, very, what is it going to look like exactly? We don't know exactly. It's about all we can say about it. All we can say is that's going to happen. Judgment is coming someday. So the question for us then 
If, if that, generally speaking, is going to happen, what do we do? What do we do, what do, what do, we do now? Like, what do we do? Like, is there meaning or purpose? What do we do? Remember that line, they refused to repent from all of their ways. They refused to repent from all of their ways. They refused to repent from all. I think that's John's way of saying, what do we do now? We look inside our own hearts. We start right here. We, we, we look and examine our own lives. We, we look for we look for signs of empire. We look for, for, for signs like the, the great prostitute Babylon that are evident in our own lives. We confess them. We identify them. We name them. We ask God to help us turn away from those things. So what are those signs? Oh my goodness, there's too many for us to talk about today or we'll be here for a couple hours. So I'll just name two I'll talk a little bit about two. I'll name some more. You can read, you can read chapters 17, 18, 19 and find all sorts of signs of empire. Right? For now, we'll, we'll start with pride. Chapter 18, verse 7 says, she gave herself luxury and glory. I sit as queen. I'm not a widow. And I will never mourn. There's this like prideful defiance in those words. Pride. It's what allows us to take care, to take advantage of others because we're so much better than. It allows us to look down our noses at other people who are different than we are because we're so much better than. It allows us to build walls that separate us from them because we know more, we have all truth, we're better, and now you can't be a part of us and we treat the them as less than, somehow not human. It shows up when we're jealous of other people's success, pride, it appears when we tell little stories about ourselves that we know aren't quite true to make us look better than we know we really are. It shows up in that attitude that says, I don't need anybody. I can do this all on my own. We look for signs of empire. We name them. We confess them. And we ask God to help us turn away from them. Here's another sign of the empire. Love of wealth or greed prostitute was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. The merchants in chapter 18 gained their wealth by taking advantage of others. And in their wake, they left bodies and souls of people, John says. Wealth. Look, we live in America. We know wealth. We know it. We know we have an embarrassment of riches. We know wealth. A billion people in the world have no access to clean drinking water. You know how much we Americans, on average, per American uses per day? Any guesses? Per day, how much water do you use? 
80 to 100 gallons. What the what? A billion people in the world don't have access to clean drinking water, and we use 80 to 100 gallons a day. Wow. Every seven seconds, a child in the world dies of hunger. We throw 14% of the food we buy away because we can't use it. 14%. More than half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. Like, how much do we spend on things we don't really need and probably won't ever use? I mean, it's astonishing. Like, this one's, we don't, like, our brains don't compute. We don't, this is just, we swim in this. And, and John isn't saying that wealth is bad, that riches are bad. Get all of its grace, gift. Then the question for us who, who, who live with that is what are we doing with it? Are we, are we using it to bless? Are we using it to be generous? Are we using it to, to enhance the lives of others? Or do we hoard? Do we just continue to accumulate? Do, what are we doing with it? Other signs of Babylon. Deception, lies, lust, violence, injustice. We go on and on. It's a long list. So we could talk for a long time. And John gives us this highly symbolic vision of what those things look like that we probably ought to say, oh, we got to name that. Point it out. God, help us turn away. Right? So I want to move. I want to, I want to end with this question. Do we want judgment? Judgment's coming. Do we want it? Because it sounds like it stinks really bad. Like it sounds horrible. Whoa, whoa, oh great city. Babylon is ruined. Things are burning. Lake of fire. Do we really want that? Like, are we like, bring on the judgment, Jesus? My answer might surprise you. We do. We do. We do, we do, we do. We want judgment. In fact, we cry out for judgment. In fact, there's this thing inside of us that knows it's necessary because we long for things to be made right. We long for, for justice. We, we long for judgment because we know it's actually good news. It's good news because God isn't going to just annihilate the whole thing. It's good news because God isn't going to just wipe all of creation off the dry erase board and start all over again. That's not what this book says. It's good news because God isn't going to throw the whole of creation into some cosmic wastebasket and then make a new one. It's not what this book says. No, it says God's going to renovate. What we have will be made new. God is making all things new. In fact, Next week, we'll talk about how God says, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
I'm not going to destroy the whole thing and start over. I'm going to make the thing that I created and love so dearly, I'm going to make it all new. I'm going to renovate. There's this guy named Joshua Ryan Butler. He's written a book called The Skeletons in God's Closet. It's a good book. Not perfect, but what book is? But here's, I want you to hear what he says about this. He says this. God's arrival is like a construction crew. The first task is to assess which parts of the home are good and should stay. Like the foundation, infrastructure, and unique characteristics that's, that once made it a really good home to live in. God doesn't throw the universe into cosmic wastebasket and start over. He takes the best of the dilapidated home and builds the renovation around it. The next task is to assess which parts need to go. He says, our sin and rebellion are like mold, termites and decay. They're the reason the house is falling apart. Our sin wants distance from God, and it's our distance from God that is destroying us. Our rebellion against God's love, light, and life has plunged our world into destruction, darkness, and death. God's judgment of sin is the demolition project that precedes the renovation. You know what that means? It means that God isn't done with the world yet. God isn't done with creation yet. It never will be. You know what else, you know what else it means? It means God isn't done with you yet. God isn't done with me yet. God wants to, to renovate hearts. God wants to renovate lives. God wants to renovate whole communities full of people and then baptize them, deputize them into agents of renewal in the world, partnering with God on God's behalf and with God question is, do we want to be a part of that? I think so. More on that next week. Let's pray.